0: Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing, with your hosts, Luke and Ewan. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing. I'm your host, Luke Carney, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, Mr Ewan Breeze. And before we get underway with today's episode, I would just like to let our listeners know that you can check us out across social media... And we're on Twitter, at Simbox. We're on Instagram, at Sim underscore Box. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Simbox Boxing. We provide daily updates, breaking news, and debate all things boxing. So Ewan, we're right in the thick of it, right in the middle of fight camps. You know, It's what we've been waiting for. Uh, unfortunately, I missed last week's episode, but Scott of Southwest Boxing Media done a great job filling in. So I'm really looking forward to dissecting Week one and also previewing week two. Uh, but first things first, how things with yourself?
1: Yeah, all good. But uh, I thought Scott did a fantastic job filling in.
0: Yeah, he really did. And uh, again, big shout out to Scott and for everyone listening. Go and make sure you check out Southwest Boxing Media. They're doing a lot of great work recently. But on with today's pod, uh, as we said at the beginning there, there's, there's a lot of boxing to look back on, there's boxing to preview. And it just feels really good that we're, we're in the midst of it. You know, we've had. Such a long period of time during the enforced COVID lockdown to, you know, weed our appetite and and kind of get excited for what's coming. And now we're right in the thick of it. You know, as boxing fans, we can't ask for much more. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, we had a Friday and a Saturday night bustling with action. You know, we had Frank Warren card, you know, Lyndon Arthur, who we spoke to very recently, who you spoke to down at at his gym in Manchester, put on a masterclass on Friday night. And then we were treated to, you know, the theatre that was fight camps on Saturday.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, usually we begin the, the, the podcast with like this week in boxing and there doesn't seem to be too much of note that's gone on away from, of course, fight camp and and the Frank one shows on BT. But the, the the one thing that caught my eye today, and it was quite a, a late announcement in the day, is the, the British Boxing Border Control announcement that they, they're going to be allowing seven fights rather than the five fights per card. So I don't know how that's going to affect the remaining weeks. Of uh, scheduled shows, you know, with MTK or Frank Warren or Eddie in the Matchroom. Uh, I just think that's a quite an interesting announcement.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a good. I think it's a good announcement. Um, I think that it'll it'll allow prospects to get a look in. I think because with this five fight minimum, you want to have your big fights, your draws, your names. You want those people fighting so you can get the the eyeballs on. You get your advertising revenue. But I think those two extra fights might give, you know, the likes of some of the younger prospects or the less experienced guys a bit more room to to show on these big cards. So I think it's great news if you're a, a boxer or a boxing fan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it uh, from, from Eddie Hearn's perspective, you know, they're gonna do the, the week four as the pay-per-view show of of fight camp, you know, and the, you've got the Dylan White and fight fighting there, of course, and the uh, Katie Taylor versus Delphine pursuing the rematch. Um, so, that, that, I think that needs bulking out as much as possible. Given that it is behind closed doors, and you know there was the rumours this week on on social media. You know, take from that what you will. But the, the Mike Bacola sergei Kuzmin fight was was falling through, and I'm not sure on on which side. I've just seen a couple of tweets, and again, you, you can't take it as money in the bank. But you know, the, the, they're the rumours. So if if it's true that they're trying to bulk out the cards, and certainly week four would need that if they're losing such a, a you know a, a decent competitive heavyweight fight in Bacola Kuzmin.
1: Exactly. And as well, because as much as we are all excited for Dillian White, Alexander Povetkin, you know, that's not a heavyweight championship fight. You know, it's a a kind of contenders fight at heavyweight, you know, which is a hard sell on pay-per-view. And I know Dillian's got a massive fan base and, you know, it does attract that casual audience. But for the hardcore boxing fans, you know, they like to see world championships on there. And I understand we've got Katie Taylor as well. But, you know, having more talent on that card, stacking that card out is only going to help. It's not going to hinder Eddie and Matt Truman that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing I will say, Ewan, is that you know with the Dylan White Pervetkin fight, the, the prestigious WBC interim titles on the line, you not know, count that as a fully fledged title? <laughs> oh god, don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So let's get into it. You know, firstly on Friday, uh the Commonwealth light heavyweight title fight, the undefeated London Arthur, he moved to seventeen and oh, defeated tough game Dex Spellman. You know, he, I think with Spellman he'd done everything that was was, you know, I've expected of him. You know, everything that he says on the tin. You know, he comes forward. He's tough. His game. He didn't slow down. Uh, but I thought Lyndon Arthur looked really good. Uh, he he didn't seem to shift out of second gear. The the jab was the thing of beauty, and and Dex Wellman just couldn't get away from it all night long. Uh, really impressed with Lyndon Arthur, and like you say, I spoke to him recently, and it was good to to see some of the the, the manoeuvres and and some of the positions he was putting himself in, and, and replicating what was watching him. Uh, practice with his trainer, Pat Barrett, you know, and and then see that come into fruition and, and seeing for all those kind of shots uh, was, was really good to see. So I was really impressed with Lyndon Arthur. Uh, what did you
1: make of his performance? I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, you know, all of the focus of the boxing world will be on, you know, Ted Cheeseman and Eggington having a war or, you know, Fabio Wardley or James Tennyson getting a big knockout. But actually for me, what Lyndon Arthur did was as impressive, if not more impressive because, he totally neutralised Dex Moment. From, from the word go, Dex Moment had no idea what he was in with. Lyndon Arthur was just one, two, three, four, five classes above him, boxing-wise. He was just a sublime operator operating properly, you know, always behind the jab. Nothing came apart from off a world-class jab. And, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb, and the man that I saw fight on Friday night beats Anthony Yard easily. I think he keeps him off. I think he's Antti Yard has never faced, you know, a jab quite like that. You know, I know I know. Kovalev's got a good jab, but he didn't use it in the first few rounds of that fight. Whereas, Lyndon Arthur based everything he does off that jab. And I don't think Yard has ever faced somebody who really just is a pure boxer the way Lyndon Arthur showed he can be on Friday night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, be it because he's, he's, he's not as... Uh... Outspoken, maybe some of his rivals, maybe that he's, he's on the Frank Warren side of the road and not on the Eddie Hearn side of the road, with the Sky Sports and Matchroom promotional juggernaut behind him. But he just seems to get slept on, and I think it's 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 a really, you know, lazy mistake from boxing fans or journalists or you know whoever. That you know, when you tend to rank the the, the best 175 pounds in the country, you know, you get the Joshua Bowats's, the Callum Johnsons, the Anthony Yard. You know, he's got the crossover appeal from the, the Kovalev fight, of course. So, even though he's with Frank Warren, he's had that big world title fight, and even though it lost, he lost that fight, you know, he still has that kind of attachment to his name that he's been there and he's, he's had the big fight. Whereas Lyndon's not had that breakthrough moment yet. And I, you know, I, I tend to agree with you know, try and set the fence as much as I can and be, um, you know, give given it. The, the, the argument from both sides, uh, but th- that Lyndon after that box on Friday, you know it was a beautiful performance, and it 'd be a game opponent against any of those guys that were mentioned um, on the matchroom side of things, and certainly uh, a game opponent against yard you know the, the, the fight looks like it 's been rescheduled for october we 've had it announced a couple of times, and of course, like everything else it it fell by the wayside um, hopefully it takes part um, of the the Daniel Dubois Joe Joyce. God, you know that has been rearranged a couple of times, and I think they're looking at getting yard a run out in early September, and then you know all all roads lead to,
1: to the yard and and an alpha fight, and I think it's a great fight. I totally agree. And I think that on Friday night, Lyndon Arthur proved that he's the fourth name in that mix at domestic level and that he deserves to be. And that there is four. There's two on each side and they're the four that are gonna, you know, they're gonna slog it out and there's gonna prove that there's one of them left. And Lyndon Arthur's proved that he his name belongs in that mix with those other other three guys, you know, is he can box he can box, he can move, he can stick and jab, you know, he can prove that he can operate at a good, good domestic level and uh, you know, all power to him because we need another name and and he's proved that, that he's the guy, and I think with Pat Barry behind him, you know, he's got a great a great base from which to operate.
0: Absolutely, and fingers crossed that, like we say, we get that final So October. But moving forward, we're going to look at uh, week one of fight camp, give our thoughts on on what we thought was done well, what wasn't done well, and of course our thoughts on each of the fights, and then we'll move on to a preview of week two, uh, another fascinating five fight card. Uh, it's going to have some job to live up to week one. You and I thought it was. It was it was a phenomenal show. Um, they they had to hit the ground running, given that they're you know one of the the, the last major promoters to to take their shot at returning. You know you've had uh, top rank in America and you've had BT over here, of course. And you know there was a lot of hype surrounding Eddie's outlandish plans. You know if we go back a couple of months and he was announcing that he was doing it in the, the gardens of Matchroom HQ. Uh, you know we've you know between us as boxing fans we've spoke about what might be there, what won't be there, you know, what can we expect? And it ticked a load of boxes for me. I thought the setup was brilliant. I thought the atmosphere, although there was no fans there, you know, they'd done the best they could. And I thought it was so unique, so
1: vibrant, uh, so fresh. I I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it was a case of, yeah, the tortoise beating the hare. Um, You know, Frank Warren and uh, Bob Aaron were straight out looking for a, a way to get fights back as soon as possible. And granted, they did bring it back first and, you know, they deserve their kudos for that. But I think Eddie's just waited for them to scrabble around to try and get something. He's waited patiently. And then when his shots come round, he's made it count. Uh, I thought it looked phenomenal. I thought the uh, the running of it was extremely slick. I thought the, the outdoor-esque, you know, with the London skyline in the background gave it a real majesty, a kind of a real sense of expectancy in theatre and I just, I really enjoyed the the kind of the aesthetic of fight camps. You know, the big big white building with the big black banners and walking out down the steps. I just, I was, I was enthralled by it from start to finish. And you know, even if the fights hadn't performed, which they did, um, I just to, to kind of see the way it was working and the setup. It was, it was really a thing of kind of engineering and uh, you know design ingenuity. And I really liked the kind of the fight camp setup.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I thought it, it was good to see, you know, the transition from the early evening, you know, with the first bell for the Jordan Gil Reese fight, and then as, as the show transitioned throughout the hours into, you know, evening towards the main event, and you know, the, it almost like the the whole setup took on a different appearance each and every time at each and every stage, and it was like, you know, the lighting came into play and the the the, the fireworks and the pyro that all came into play, and it was just like everything was perfectly timed and. You know, it was a bit strange at first. You know, you could see the plants and the, and the road just running by, and you know, people just about the business. And there was a couple of llamas in the field next to it, and you know, there was a the whole surrealness to the thing. But yeah, overall, I think from the the start of fight week, the amount of content that was put out from Eddie and Matchroom, and the 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 access that was given, you know, to see the guys milling around the hotel, and the fact that all the the COVID testing that was done all came back negative, it just had a, a real nice vibe to it and it all built up to a, a fantastic fight night uh, that we all enjoyed, you know, and a couple of things, a couple of detractors, you know, before we get started, and it's one that was brought up with BT as well, and it's I'm sure I've seen Eddie in the, in the build-up say that he wasn't going to use it, but the, the can noise on, on Sky Sports, you know, the the fake fan noise, uh, did you notice that at all throughout
1: the fight night, Ewan, and if so, what was your thoughts? I, th- I thought it was done in a more subtle way than frank 's uh we, on frank 's it sounded like somebody was messing with the speakers to try and get it right, but on his eddies, it was a bit more subtle i, I quite liked the music on the introductions, that kind of dung dung thing that was building up. I quite liked that but I'm, again i 'm not sold by the crowd noise. I like to hear the punches land I like to because you know you you 've been ringside as well when you are ringside for for fights you know you really hear those punches and I like that effect on the television because you often lose it with the crowd noise, and I'm not a massive fan of the crowd noise. But um, yeah, it, it's again. I thought it was more well done than Frank's, and again, I'm not trying to just dig at Frank Warren. I've no, I've no horse in the race, but at the same time, I'll just call it how I see it, and I, I did, I found it less distracting yeah. on the Eddie Hearn one, and I'm not sure if that was because I was looking round and because I was looking more in detail at what was going on outside of the ring and what was kind of the setup, I don't know whether it was that or whether it was the actual crowd noise being more well handled, but I, I found it less distracting.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because, you know, when we, we had all the preview content before fight camp, you know, Eddie with IFL and other uh, media outlets and he was, you know, he was so against the the fake noise and he he sold us all on the, you know, you'll hear the, the gaffs for air or you'll hear the, you know the, the the body shots land, or the the, the big heavyweights landing their, their shots around the temple and everything else, and we was really sold on that. And you know, with them, you know, my box, uh, I'm a football fan as well as a boxing fan, and when I've watched uh, the football and Sky Sports, they do have the option of one channel on, one channel off. You know, and I, I think that's something that might come into play because I know they was geo broadcasting on uh, two separate Sky Sky Sports uh, TV channels, so maybe that's going to be a thing where they'll you know give you the option on or off. You know, and I think. With something like football, a big empty stadium, it needed the fake noise to kind of fill a void. Whereas with boxing, it's more natural. You know, it's you kind of take more from the real noise as you would from a football uh, football
1: match. If that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. Because in a, a football match, when the ball goes in the back of the net, everyone can see that the ball's gone in the back of the net, right? But if if you land a lovely little sneaky body shot, as as you know, the kind of the shots are flying on the inside. And the crowd screaming and the judges sat on the wrong side of the ring, you might not see that. But if we've got no crowd noise, we've got everything fine. Fans, judges, spectators, everybody can see, slap, that one went in. Do you know what I mean? You can score it more accurately, I think. I think that 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 lack of crowd noise does actually benefit the experience of the boxing. Because like I said about ringside, and I'm not trying to bang on about it, but when you are ringside, you hear those shots. Yeah. And now you can hear those shots in your home if we are allowed to do that by a television channel. And I think that that would enhance everybody's viewing of the fight rather than detract from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the fight that we're going to get on to. It was the, the first fight of the night, but there was a moment in, in the uh, Jordan gill reese fight where I'm not sure which round it was. I think it was close to the middle rounds. And, you know, it was, as we get into the review of the fight, we'll go through it. But, you know, there was never really any danger of anybody being knocked out or so it seemed. You know, there was a couple of cuts in there. Uh, but there was a moment when Jordan Gill landed a short left hook and if there was crowd noise there and if the commentators were really loud and, you know, trying to be heard, uh, it would have been missed. But because of the the gasp of air brought in from Reese Bellotta, as, as he kind of, you know, stumbled forward and he grabbed onto Gil and, you know, you heard Gil exhale as he landed the shot. And it was a split second and I thought, I would have missed that. You know, and, and that's epitomised the whole beauty of, you know, we, don't, we want live crowds, of course we do, but it epitomised the whole beauty of what, behind closed doors boxing is supposed to be and what
1: we're supposed to take from it as a viewer watching it on TV. Exactly, exactly. I couldn't agree more. I think, it, I think there is an element and I think that this, uh, the, kind of the spectacle of fight camps was able to show that. But again, I am absolutely against crowd noise. Let's have it silent. Let's hear what the coaches are saying. Let's hear what the commentators are saying and let's hear what the fighters are saying to each other or when those punches are landing. That is what we should have because we shouldn't be trying to pretend we're in an arena. You know, everybody knows what's going on. Let's do it like we know what's going on. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh something else I wanted to mention, and you mentioned that about uh, hearing what's going on in each corner, you know, with the interactions between the trainers, be it, you know, in between rounds or during a round and, you know, the firing out instructions. And it's something that read its head on social media and people like Tony Bellew and, and others discussed it. But the, the amount of uh, protective equipment used by trainers and cutsmen you know in the corner you know so say for instance uh david caldwell in the corner of jordan gill he had the mask on then he had the visor on and you know people were saying is it excessive given that they've already tested negative you know other people are saying you can't be too sure and it's just better to tick all the boxes and, and, and be safe and be certain you know
1: where, where do you sit with that you again i wouldn't like to comment and i'm not a scientist i'm not somebody who understands this in in, in any sort of depth okay so if if the health and safety team at Matchroom have deemed it safer to have that protective equipment. Absolutely go for it, protective equipment. But at the same time, I was a bit a bit weirded out by the fact that, you know, Cheeseman and Eggington can knock seven bells out of each other for 12 rounds. But then when they do their interview, they have to be two metres apart. I, yep. I sort of, there was some contradictions in there. And like you say, Caldwell's obviously, he's been tested, he's negative. He's spent all his time in the bubble. He's not interacted with anyone else. Why does he have to? And again, I'm, I know that's a bit of a sit on the fence answer, but at the same time, whatever benefits the health and safety, but I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to pretend like I know when I don't.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm in the same boat as you there, you and, you know, it's it's, again, it's not sitting on the fence, but it's given, you know, the, the, the idea that we don't know the full story, you know, so maybe he has tested negative on the, the Tuesday, but you know, who's to say, you know, he hasn't come into contact with somebody, you know, you'd like to think they don't, but you just don't know. And I guess it's better to be safe than sorry. And if this is what we need to get boxing back on the road, then so be it for now, you know, and maybe by week three or week four or moving into September, you know, we'll start to see, you know, relaxing with with those kind of uh, rules and regulations. And I think just for now, we just kind of got to, you know, suck it up and and get on with it. Exactly, exactly. We've got boxing back. We can't be uh, splitting hairs. Yeah, so let's move into it. The first fight, um, a really intriguing fight. And I thought it was really important that match room went with such a, a big fight uh, to kick everything off. Jordan Gill, Reese Bellotti, you know, a, a really interesting fight leading up to it. It's one that we've discussed time and time again. But, you know, both men with losses on the record and, you know, seemingly nowhere to go for the loser, you know. And as it was, Jordan Gill was was a class, maybe two classes above. Reese Belotta, you know a game Reese Belotta, but I was really, really impressed with Jordan Gill as he, you know, he ran out a unanimous decision Uh, Victor
1: uh, What was your thoughts on the on the fight, Ewan? Yeah, Jordan Gill came in looking like Wilfredo Benitez. Um, (laughs) He had, you know, he had an exciting new look and an exciting new style. I thought he did everything he needed to do against Reese Balotti. You know, the way you beat Reese Balotti is not to go in and have a dogfight with him because we all know how hard he hits. The way you beat Reese Balotti is to, you know, get on your back foot, use your jab, use your boxing smarts and do everything that Jordan Gill did on Saturday night. You know, he, he followed, he boxed to orders. He followed a perfect blueprint of how you beat Reese Balotti. You work off your jab, you look for the openings, you don't get too greedy and you make sure you stay away from his big right hand. And that's everything he did. Uh, I think it was, you know, Almost faultless performance from Jordan Gill, but that doesn't mean that Reese Belalie didn't give it his all because he always does, and he he was game and he kept coming forward. But ultimately, there was a golfing class there, and I thought Jordan Gill exploited that golf.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm inclined to agree with you there. I think it's, it's it's a really peculiar case with Reese Belalie because he was the golden boy at one point, you know, when he was coming through, and he, you know, he had the loss to Ryan Doyle, and you know, he's now three and three in his last six. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, I think he's just touching 30. So, you know, he's still got a couple of years on the clock and he's not really took any major damage, you know, aside from that one stoppage loss to uh, Ryan Doyle. You know, um, he, he, he's been competitive in all his losses. And even though it was a clear loss on, on Saturday evening, uh, he was he was in the fight, you know, he, he got cut up and, he, you know, there was certain rounds where he lost clearly, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't taking, like, shots for the sake of taking shots, you know, he's, he had a bit about him and, I think on a domestic scene, I think there's there's, there's still life in Reese Pilotti, certainly, you know, and I'd like to, you know, I'd support him moving forward. But Jordan Gill, I think it's really interesting now, you know, he's he's there or thereabouts in, in terms of the top ten domestically. You know, it's it's a, the featherweight division is a fantastic division, uh, you know, and it's fights there. You know, the golden contracts to be concluded, so you're going to have the, the likes of Ryan Walsh, Jazza Dickens, you know, Lee Wood coming out of there as well, and then of course at the top you've got. Galahad and Josh Warrington, so I don't think Gil's up in, in that echelon just yet. But that little mix just below, um, you know, he's at
1: 25 26 professional fights now. You know, he, he's, 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 he's got to be in that mix, yeah, exactly. You've got my man Isaac Lowe as well, who's a very talented fighter yeah. and who is ranked a little bit lower than those guys. I think that I think that Gil, uh, Gil versus Lowe is a phenomenal fight, uh, you know. and... That will probably be on, in America on a uh, on a uh, Tyson Fury undercard. But I'd love to see that fight. You know, I really rate both of those fighters and they're both really nip and tuck little boxers. I think it would be a real chess match. But no, I think, I think Jordan Gill, absolutely, his name belongs on the up and up. You know, I think that they'll want to be moving him fast now because he's got his experience. He's served his apprenticeship. So why not be getting him, you know, a big challenge? And I know... If if he wasn't so close to Lee Wood, I think that would be the perfect fight. But I know they've they've roomed together and they're very, very yeah, close because cold world boxing. But yeah, I think there is other challenges in around there. You know, the loser of uh, of Jazza versus Ryan uh, Ryan Walsh. Why not? I think that you know, there's everybody that was in that golden contract tournament. What is a decent matchup for Jordan Gillard, I'd, I'd put him in with any of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think he's got the skills, the fundamentals to to be competitive with anyone domestically. You Know, I think the two questions is, you know, is he got that that kind of single punch power? I don't think he has, you know, but he it, it gets you know punches in bunches. Uh, and also, you know, there's going to be another chin check and another body check further down the line. You know, if you got in there with somebody like a, a Ryan Walsh who's tough as old boots, you know, and if, if Ryan Walsh dragged him into those deeper waters, you know, it's sink or swim for Jordan Gill. And I think that's where the questions will be asked and needed to be answered. So, I think. He's the sterner test down the line, but his, his fundamentals, his boxing skills, will we'll always seem be competitive to a point. I think, and it would be really interesting to see how he continues to improve.
1: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more, and I think that I think that he's one of those that he is maturing. He the, what we saw on Saturday night was his most mature performance, and I think that. As we see him mature into that style, I think, you know, the knockouts will come. You know, Josh Warrington was famously, everybody called him pillow-fisted, and then he got moved into his style. And then he's, you know, he said, uh, yeah, Watt Frampton, who's notoriously has a great chin. He had him reeling all over the ring. You know, he knocked yeah. out that French lad. You know, Josh Warrington really learned how to sit down on his punches. And maybe Gill can do the same thing as he matures into that strength. You know, he's still only a young man. And I think, I think we haven't seen the best of Jordan Gill yet.
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly. Uh, moving on to the second fight. This was uh Dalton Smith, you know, a highly esteemed amateur, you know, he's got that, that pedigree been around team G B, that whole setup, you know, and he's got a lot of hype around him. And he was in against the Scouts and so Nathan Bennett. Uh, you know, only one loss on Nathan Bennett's record, and this was a step up of sorts for, for Dalton Smith. You know, this wasn't, you know, a, a Bulgarian taxi driver, no disrespect, but you know, this was somebody that was coming to win, someone that was coming to seize the opportunity uh, that he might not have otherwise got, you know, a, a Dalton Smith just been on an undercard of a you know, a heavyweight title fight or, a, a, you know, a world title fight of sorts and he just would have been there against, a, you know, an, an 0-40 guy or an 0-50 guy, you know, and he wouldn't have really learned as much as what he did against the game. Nathan Bennett, as I say, came to win and he started off reasonably well, you know, he was he enjoyed that first round and, he you know, he posed a few questions but Dalton Smith... You know he's 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 a class above and he's a few, a good few classes above Nathan Bennett and, and the likes of Nathan Bennett. You know no disrespect. You know I really like Dalton Smith. He's got the the whole look and the the one punch knockout was was brutal.
1: Yeah, he did did everything. You know this was it was a big step up and it was and we're not going to pretend it wasn't. It was a big step up. You know first time at eight rounds, a lad who's coming to win, who's fit, who's bigger than you, and. He passed that test with flying colours. Do you know what I mean? Exactly how you deal with that step up. You know, you put him in a harder fight and you knock him out with what must be in contention for knockout of the year. You know, it was a pitch-perfect right hand that felled, you know, Nathan Bennett. And especially when it's a shorter fight and knocking out a taller fighter, there is something kind of aesthetically pleasing. And I know it sounds awful for Nathan Bennett, you know, but there is something kind of almost... has a certain majesty of this kind of big right hand that he put on him and uh, you know it was pitch perfect and it didn't even look to have that much power but because it was so technically proficient it knocked him out because the power was transferred right up from his toes and it was it was a fantastic knockout and a fantastic overall performance from Dalton Smith I felt
0: Yeah definitely and I think you know one of the things that I did like about uh, Dalton Smith and it was after the knockout you know the way he showed that kind of compassion um, and worry for his opponent, you know, they'd just been knocking ten bells out of each other, and as soon as that knockout blow was landed, he fell to his knees, and you know, he wanted to try his best to ensure Nathan was okay, and he gave him a shout out on social media afterwards. And you know, it's such a young man to, on such a big platform, you know, it would have been easy to let that knockout go to his head and kind of, you know, disregard Nathan Bennett, but I thought that kind of compassion was a nice little touch, and again, it, it shows, you know, the, the the beautiful side of boxing that you know these warriors can go from, again, knocking ten bells out of each other to to you know, really, really worrying about each other and wishing everyone, you know, wishing each other the best. And yeah, I thought that was a really nice touch from Dalton Smith.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It shows a maturity beyond his years, but I'm sure his dad will have had an influence on that. I'm sure, you know, his dad's a, you know, an esteemed boxing man out of Sheffield and uh, he will have taught him the right ways to do things and uh, the gentlemanly way to do things in the ring. And um, so I think he deserves a lot of credit as well. But yeah, Dalton Smith, a gentleman, but a very, very vicious fighter when it comes to it.
0: Yeah, and just to touch on with that fight as well, it was nice to see that Eddie, and again in a, another interview, after, you know after the show, uh, he was he was highly praising uh, Nathan Bennett and his gameness, his toughness, and he said, you know, if he goes away and gets a couple of wins on his record, then you know Matchroom would love to work with him again, and that just goes to epitomise, you know, taking the risk of fighting on on a big card and and taking a tougher fight, and even if you lose, you, your stock will rise more than it would have. In, in just a tick-over fight or a meaningless four-rounder somewhere, you know, so big shout-out to Nathan Bennett for taking the challenge, and it's good to see that Eddie's recognised that, and even though he lost, there's going to be further opportunities down the line.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Tough as old boots, and, you know, game as they come, because take, it's a lose-lose taking a, a fight against Dalton Smith, isn't it? You know, but at the same like, you're not going to win that fight. You know, it's going to be a real tough ask to win that fight, but if you prove that, you know, you're an, you're an hard guy and you're ready to come and you game, which Nathan Bennett absolutely did, you know, uh, you know. Hopefully, that proves better for him in the in the future because he deserves it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to the the third fight, which was the first title fight of the entire fight camp series, and this was the English heavyweight title fight. And I'm sure this is one that you took a lot of pleasure from, Ewan. And it was uh, Fabio Wardley stopping Simon Valilla in inside three rounds. You know, a really composed performance from Fabio Wardley and when the opportunity arose to take out Valilla, he,
1: he He was ruthless. He was absolutely fantastic. And I think that, you know, obviously the main event was fantastic, but I, for me, Fabio Wardley stole the show. We talked about this saying, if you if you want to be a big heavyweight on one of these shows, you need a big knockout. And oh my God, did he get a big knockout. Fabio Wardley, it was poise, proficiency, power. He was just absolutely on it, switched on, laser focused from the minute the bell went. And, you know, Villili is a big, tough, hard man who comes to swing for the fences and he just wants to knock you out no matter what. And Wardley thought, I'm going to use that aggression against him. Take a couple of rounds to figure him out, spot the gap, and then bang. And it was an absolutely pitch-perfect check left hook. Right out of Dillian's playbook, bang, big left hook, and it sent him flying back. And then what a killer instinct. You know, it didn't let up for a second. Little little skip, a hop, skipping a jump over to Valili, who'd fallen back on the ropes, and then it was just a flurry. You know, you know, it said maximum violence, but that's exactly what it is. And that's the kind of finish you should be putting on when you're an 80-0 heavyweight looking for an English title you know if you're going to be moving on for Commonwealth British and World Honours you know you need to be stopping guys like the Lily like that and Fabio Wardley did it and he did it in a vicious vicious manner I thought I was absolutely I'm, I'm sold and I've been banging on about Fabio Wardley for ages he's eloquent he's intelligent he's calculating but he's also vicious when he needs to be and I just think he's got all the ingredients. And I know he doesn't have the pedigree. And I always get slack, slack from, you know, the hardcore fans saying, you need, your, you need your pedigree, you need your pedigree. But Wardley's passing every test you give him. Why not give him another one? I think he's, I think he's the real deal, Fabio Wardley. And I've, I will continue to bang on about him and tell, tell everyone how good he is.
0: Fantastic. And, you know, again, I'm inclined to agree with you. And I thought that one of the things that impressed me so much about Fabio was, you know, he spent the whole week... Um, and, and a lot of the build up, you know, with, with the bad blood between him and, and, and Valilla And, you know, even down to the, the fake mustache at the final press conference, and, you know, there was, there was a lot of tension there. And, and that would have only built been in such close proximity to each other. When he stepped the wing, uh, into that ring, it was all business. And I thought the way he separated the, the hype and the fight, you know, business is business, I thought it was fantastic. And he, he was so relaxed. He was so. It was almost unerring, you know, that he, he didn't explode like at the first bell, given the bad blood that was there and you know the, the, the promise of a knockout. And yeah, I thought that was was it shown wisdom beyond his years. And you know, Simon Lily was no slump, you know, with the, the Commonwealth medal, the the, the the amateur experience. But for me, it was Fabio Wardley that looked the more accomplished, you know, despite that golfing experience. Fabio Wardley, if you was watching that fight and you didn't know either man, you would have picked Fabio Wardley as the one that had the the, the, the amateur background and, you know, around Team GB. And then you would have said Simon Valili was the white-collar boxer. But as it is, it's the other way around. And I thought the way the fight transpired, it was that was a really interesting angle. And it just all points to a, a bright future for, for Fabio Wardley. You know, they're looking at getting him out again on August 22nd on the undercard of Dylan White's fight. And they're talking about people like Dave Allen. And I think it's a huge step up again. But he's ticking all the boxes, you know. And it's a really exciting journey to follow. And, you know, you spoke to him before for... For Simbox, and I'm sure we'll set something up again in the future, and it'll be really interesting to to continue to build that relationship with Fabio Walden because he's going places and it's really exciting, he's really well spoken. Uh, yeah, fully behind him and really excited to follow that journey. Absolutely. Alan, Webb, Gorman, let's have it. Yep, that's it. He's right in that mix. Uh the, the next fight was the British title fight, and this this was James Tennyson against Gavin Gwynn. A great clash of styles, you know, James Tennyson, he's got a couple of losses on his record down at uh, super featherweight and he was moving up to, to lightweight and Gavin Gwynn's a big man he's a big lightweight you know there was a a golf in reach and there was a golf in height uh, favouring Gavin Gwynn the Welshman uh, but James Tennyson always has that X factor that power you know he's looked unbelievable at 135 pounds and he was coming to win that British title and win that British title he did but he didn't have it all his own way you know he was, he was backing his power throughout and you know Unfortunately, Gavin Gwynn just didn't look like he had that that zip in his punches to keep Tennyson off. But what did you make of the fight, Ewan?
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody is ever going to have an easy night against Gavin Gwynn. But the way that you do it is you back yourself. And, um, you know, Cordina backed his boxing skill and Tennyson backed his power. And it did pay in the long run. You know, Gavin Gwynn is always there. tough as old boots. Big, strong, hard hitting. But it just didn't have the same levels of power and the same levels of kind of class uh, that James Tennyson proved he had on the night. I thought, again, I thought Gwyn gave a very good account of himself, but Tennyson is legit at lightweight, in my opinion. You know, he seems to really hit very, very hard. And I don't think there's anyone really in and around that kind of 135 pound division domestically who's going to really shake up the world with him. I don't know. I just, I really rate Tennyson after that performance, you know. A Lewis Ritson, ca-
0: maybe moving back down to 135. Is that, is that not a, a, a great fight? You know, it's one that I, I thought to myself, and then i seen Joe Gallagher put it on, on social media. But imagine a Lewis Ritson at, at somewhere near you know, 137 pounds and, and James Tennyson at somewhere near 137
1: pounds, like a catch weight fight. You know, what, what, what a clash that would be. It'd be a great fight, but I I I don't think Lewis Ritson can make uh, I don't think Lewis Ritzon can make 135 anymore. You know he was yeah true, he, but he he blamed his he blamed his weight he's blamed his problems against the likes of Pateri, you know, getting his head boxed off uh, on the weight, and he's moved up and he, he has looked better at, at 140. I think that I don't think he has any intention of moving down, and if you are going to move down, and you know the first thing to go if you're cutting too much weight is your chin, yep. and the last person you want stood in front of you if you've got a suspect chin is James Tennyson. Uh, I thought he was, you know, I thought I think that there's a lot of good fights out there for him and pushing forward onto world level. You know, I I really rate him and I think that he did he did a really good job fighting Gavin Gwynn, You know, he put put his power on the line, backed his power, backed his chin, which and, and backed his body as well, which you know has been suspect in the past against the likes of Farmer. So I I was I was very very impressed.
0: Yeah, I think the interesting thing for me and, and where the, the Ritson idea come from is that James Anderson reminds me so much of. Lewis Ritson when he you know he made his breakthrough and he he was beating Scotty Cardle and 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 Robbie Barrett, um, Patrick Highland yeah. and Joe Murray. You know the, the the ruthless efficiency with which he took him out. You know it was almost like watching a you know a mini Golovkin. You know uh, you know that, that name is chucked out there so much when we have a power puncher. But you know when you have that kind of excitement around somebody that's such a heavy handed boxer. You know your Deontay Wilder, your Golovkins and, and stuff like that. You know to see it on like a domestic scene. I think Tennyson and, and and Lewis Ritson in that respect are very, very similar. You know, the, when, when Ritson was coming through and he he was knocking all those guys out, you just, you know, you, you, your money was going on, you know, you was choosing whether or not it was the round one, two or three. He was never looking beyond that. Uh, and that's why I think it would be such an interesting clash. But touching on Saturday night, I think two things that I will say, I think Gavin Gwynn will certainly win a British title at some point in his career. I think he's he, he's good enough. And if he times it right, I definitely think he's got a British title in him. Um uh, the thing moving forward for James Tennyson is, as, as exciting as he is, he's almost in like a, you know, almost like a, a no-man's land because he's he's too good for domestic. But is he ready to be challenging the likes of, you know, Devin Hayne, uh, Teofimo Lopez, you know, the world champions, you know, dare I say, Vasily Lomachenko, if that was to rear its head. So there's quite a gap there, you know, and if it, it was talk of Jorge Linares uh he's, he's tied up for the time being. So I think it's gonna be really interesting where they maneuver him. You know, there's gonna to have to be a couple of fringe contenders, you know, maybe like a Richard Comney or something something like that, you know, just to really gauge where he is at that world level. So I think it's gonna be really interesting just how they, they, they maneuver him. You know, if he was to stick around at at British level and it'd be a fight that'd be British level, but it'd be beyond that if it makes sense, is if Joe Cardina came back up for the, the lightweight title at £135, pounds, you know, what a you know perfect and it'd be a fight that you'd certainly enjoy as a, a boxer versus a puncher.
1: I think that's a great matchup. I think that's a great matchup. But I think there is there is some kind of fringe fringe uh, contenders. You know, your likes of your Francesco Patera, your Kiss Gamboa. I think there is some there is some really good good options around there. I think that there's. Yeah, sorry, I missed that one out there.
0: The Patera fight actually for the European title that does make sense. You know, I think that would gauge it. You know, in between British and and world level, I think that that'd be a a good fight, you know, so fair play for shotting that one out, I missed that one out, but that'd be a good fight.
1: I think that's the most, I think that's the most, the one that makes the most sense, um, but I also like the Gamboa fight, you know, he's, he's not done yet, he's only got the three losses on his record and, He's he's always you know right at the top, Gamboa. He's always classy and he's always ready. And I think to you know Tennyson might be able to catch him at the right time and get himself propelled towards the top of the yeah the top of the divisions.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be real interesting, you know, to say you know if Tennyson came past someone like a, a Eureka Gamboa, you know, and you'd look on the, the record of Gamboa and there'd be a loss to Crawford, there'd be a loss to Jonathan Davis, and then there'd be a loss to James Tennyson, you know, and it kind of puts him up there.
1: Then you know, again another good shot. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the world's his oyster, but I think you should just be uh, shouting those names out rather than being uh, respectful.
0: Yeah, most definitely. So let's move into the main event. You know, it promised a lot. Uh, it certainly delivered. Uh, but before the, the actual fight got underway, we had like, a, you know, the, the, the whole spectacle with the pyros and the fireworks and the entrances were fabulous. You know, I was really, really impressed with the, the extent to which Eddie went to, you know, to, to, to put on that display. And it just kind of makes you wonder if that's the week one. What are they going to be doing on, on week four when it's the pay per view show? But yeah, after, it really had the big fight feel to it, and the the, the David Diamante, uh introductions, the, everything. I thought it worked perfect. Uh, the egg and cheese was was hyped up beyond belief, and boy, did it deliver!
1: Absolutely, absolutely. The kind of the setup always it reminded me a bit of a music festival, you know, where you you seeing the opening acts and they kind of the, the sun's going down, and then by the time it's it's fully dark, it's the headliners, and then it's all the pyrotechnics and. Uh, and the fireworks and everything like that. And it really reminded me of a kind of a big headliner at a, a summer festival. And I, yeah, they, they were the headliner, rightfully so. You know, it was, it was fireworks from the first round all the way up to what is definitely going to be round of the year in the 12th. I thought they did absolutely everything that they were sold to do. You know, we, we thought Cheeseman might come and box, but he didn't. He came to slug and, you know, we all love Sam Eggington, who never, ever takes a backwards step. It was a phenomenal fight. And, you know, I think I think a rematch, why not? I think that the world is the oyster for both of them. I don't think either of them lose any stock in this fight. I think Cheeseman gains the stock from the win, but I don't think Eggington goes back very far from that loss.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, as a boxing fan, we're all, we're all going to call for the for, for the rematch. Uh, certainly Sam Eggington would want the rematch, but I just don't think Ted would, would want the rematch. You know, I think it was a close fight, but, you know, there was no real controversy about him winning it. You know, we'd be simply wanting to see it again as, you know, such a great fight. I think for him, you know, he takes that IBAF, uh, international title, you know, and as much as we don't like these kind of ABC trinkets, it's, it is a ranking. You know, he's going to be in and around the, the top ten of the IBF, and he's, you know, after a tough 2019, is we documented well on the, on the podcast and in the, in, in the build up to fight camps. You know, Ted Cheeseman with the, the loss uh, to Sergio Garcia, clearly outclassed. He had the the close draw with Kieran Conway that many people actually thought he lost, and then he had the, the, the another controversial fight with. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, did he win? Did he draw? Did he lose? You know, it's it's a pick and fight. So I think he was he deserved the rubber the green. And I actually thought Sam Eginton was going to win this fight. I, I predicted him to win it beforehand. And at the final bell, I thought he'd squeezed enough out of that fight, you know. And again, it's a pick and fight. So there's no real controversy. I'm not saying that Sam Egginson was robbed, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. It's a, it's a what you like kind of fight. And those early rounds were pivotal because Cheeseman built up a bit of a healthy healthy lead. But certainly Sam Eggington can come again. You know, he's lost before and he's rebuilt and Ted Cheeseman needed that win. I think it was easier for Sam Eggington to come back from a loss than it would have been had Ted Cheeseman lost.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think it was an absolute must win for Cheeseman. Uh, whereas Sam Eggington has built this reputation of it doesn't matter if he wins or he loses, he's, he's the same yeah. fighter either way. Um, I think Ted's confidence really needed this. You know, he's only a young man. And to take, you know, to spend two years of your career having really tight losses uh, and then, well, one that really hurt and then two tight ones, one a draw, one a loss. um, It was really hurt for him. And I think it was a massive confidence boost to get him back. And, you know, you can't help but be pleased for the guy, even though I, I, again, I predicted Sam Egginton to win and I thought thought he would win. But, um, yeah, no, I thought it was a phenomenal, phenomenal fight. And both men showed that they really have the... uh, really have the cojones to fight in a dogfight. And they both brought that dogfight out of one another and uh, and really impressed for the fans. And Eddie must be absolutely pleased because his viewing figures for this were phenomenal. And I think that it was the egg and cheese that brought those eyeballs in because what a fight it was. Yes,
0: yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, looking at Cheeseman and, and moving forward, you know, we're not really quite sure what's going on with Scott Fitzgerald and Anthony Fowler and Kieran Conway are, are going to be boxing later on into fight camps. And then with... Uh, You've got Hamza Shiraz, who's performed really well on the BT shows. And Troy Williamson's got a a defensive, his European title coming up. So I think it was really pivotal for Cheeseman, not only to bounce back from 2019, but to also, you know, put his name up there with other guys that are going to perform. You know, it's £154. Again, it's another fantastic division domestically, European level and world level. You know, it's all open and it's, it's there for the grasp. And at 24 years of age with the experience he already has, cheeseman's always going to get a good fight you know he's he's never going to let anyone down you know and, and when boxing returns to normal he's a ticket seller, so he's always going to be able to sell tickets he's always going to you know bring that kind of side to things to the to the table. And boy, can he fight, you know, so he ticks so many boxes and at 24 years of age, you know, he's going to be there or thereabouts when it comes to domestic titles, European titles and, and fringe world title contenders and and who knows where else, you know, I'm not su- quite sure if he's got a world title in him, but I wouldn't be surprised given his entertainment value
1: if he was to, to get up there as like a, a volunteer for an IBF title. Absolutely, absolutely, and he's uh, he's nicked Sam Eggington's ranking. So why not? You know, uh, I was I was firmly of the belief that if Eggington have won this, he would have ended up with a really big fight. But why not let Cheesman have a big fight because he he fought he fought his heart out. Um, I personally like the winner of Fowler Harper, which I fully expect to be Anthony Fowler. That's taking place on Friday. But I think the Fowler Cheesman fight is as good as the Eggington Cheesman fight. You know, Fowler's exactly the same. Comes yep. forward, big power puncher. You know, looks for the knockout from the beginning, and I think that. I think that that one will ignite. Um, that could, I don't know. I don't know where Scott Fitzgerald's at. You know, as far as as far as I know, his uh, his most recent battles are in the courtroom rather than the ring. Yep, unfortunately but, um, so.
0: Uh,
1: but yeah, if if that was for, to be a British title, if Scott Fitzgerald vacates or whatever, why not? Uh, I like the Fowler fight for Cheeseman. I think that they're both on an upward trajectory now. You know, Cheeseman's turned his fortunes around, and ever since that Fitzgerald lost Fowler has been on the up and up. So why not have them guys go and then? The winner fight Troy Williamson for that European title. I think that's a great little trio of fights.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the interesting thing to, to to add to that, Ewan, you know, and uh, there's a couple of things that I change in, in my opinion, but I think the interesting thing is that if we were to go back to the start of 2019, you know, the idea was Cheeseman defeats Sergio Garcia, wins the European title, he has the British title. Uh, Antifa just had to get past, you know, a grudge match with a domestic rival, Scott Fitzgerald, that wasn't given too much hope with the bookies or with the majority of boxing fans outside of Preston. And then that fight was due to happen last year, you know, by all accounts. And I think, you know, given that both guys have took losses, it's almost like a bigger fight now, you know, because I, th- I personally think that they do end up fighting, but I think it's going to be like more of a headline fight or, a, you know, a co-main event. I actually see Andy Fowler winning against Adam Harper and I see him going on to fight
1: Sam Eginton, and then defeating Sam Eginton to settle the Ted Cheesman fight. I, I like all of those possibilities. You know, you know me, I've been saying that Fowler should fight Eggington for like yeah. probably nearly 2 years. I think that that fight has, you know, I think if Cheeseman Eggington was good, imagine Fowler Eggington it's like Cheeseman Eggington with more power. Um I think it's no, I think that's a great fight. Um I think that's a great fight to make. And I think it just depends where they stack up and where the schedule stacks up. But like I say, that division, the top 10 at British level, 154 pounds, it might be one of our hottest divisions domestically because we've got lots of talent. And we have always got the, the you know the, the dark horse of the division, Scott Fitzgerald, who on his day, comes back and beats all of them. But when Absolutely. is his day? When is his day? You know, it's he's kind of he's like a grim reaper lurking in the background. And you never know when he's going to come back. But when he decides to come back and if he's fit, can he just come and wipe the floor with them?
0: That remains to be seen.
1: Really, really exciting division, and Cheeseman and Eggington have given us a classic for that division.
0: Absolutely, and it, as it is, that was week one of Matchroom's fight camps. It was massively hyped beforehand, and my overall opinion of the show you know, was that they delivered. You know, there was five good fights, uh, with one great main event. You know, the other four fights all played their part in setting up. You know, the the, the benchmark for the for the remaining. Week two, week three, and week four of fight camps. But as, as as beginnings go, I don't think they could have done any better. The production, the fight value, yeah, the everything was was ticks every box that we wanted. And and if week two, three, and four can be half as good, then we're in for a, a, a fantastic month of August. I couldn't agree more. A five star fight camp for me. Absolutely. So let's uh, to finish. Let's briefly touch on uh, a little preview of week two. You know, fight camps back in the back garden of, of match room, and as we say there, you know, they've got a lot to live up to. Uh, in terms of on paper, the fights don't really seem as appealing, but there's a, there's a fantastic main event, and we'll start at the bottom of the card. Uh, we'll give a, a couple of thoughts on on the fights, and, and and to mix it up a little bit, we'll give a couple of predictions. So let's start off with Hopi Price. You know, young twenty-year-old prospect, two and zero. His last appearance was out in Saudi Arabia on the huge anti Joshua Andy Ruiz two rematch. Uh, I thought that was you know a fantastic platform for, for, for a young boxing Hoppy Price to be on and he takes on Johnny Phillips who's five wins four losses uh, not in the best of form you know he's lost his last three but he does have two knockout wins in his five victories so you know the, there's a little bit of punching power there but of course you'd expect the the class and the pedigree of Hopey Price to shine through there.
1: Absolutely yeah uh, I was listening to uh, Jordan Gill on the Fight Disciples podcast this morning and uh he said that Hopi Price is a mix between Luke Campbell and Andy Lee, and that's a very high praise indeed. I think Hopi Price comes through this one with no bother.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go there with a, a clear points victory. I think. They, they, well, I'd expect that fight to be over no more than four or six rounds. So I think it'd be, uh, yeah, plain sailing for Hopi Price. You know, a nice run out. You know, he's not been out for for coming on eight months, uh, there or about eight months. Uh, so yeah, I think. It, you can put your house on that. You know, Hope Price will will defeat Johnny Phillips. Uh, moving into this, the, the the second fight of the card, it's an eight rounder at lightweight. Uh, Akif Fiaz, you know, undefeated, another prospect, twenty years of age. You know, he's, he's not put a foot wrong as as a professional boxer just yet, and he comes up against uh, Kane Baker, uh, thirteen and six, thirty years old, uh, won his last two. You know, and he has thirteen wins, but none by a stoppage, so he doesn't seem to be that much in uh, By way of punching power, so there's going to be, you know, the, if Fiaz wants to get the, the the rounds under his belt and and really appreciate the time in the ring, I think you know there's not going to be real danger of, or too much danger of, of of a stoppage loss there. You know.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Neither of them have uh, have ever knocked anybody out, so I think that it's a, I think that it's going to be a bit of a chess match. But I think for a young prospect like Fiaz, that's what you want. You want rounds. You want composure. You want them to learn distancing and keeping fit and it's it's an eight round fight. So, you know, you'll I think getting those rounds in for Fiaz will be crucial to his uh, his development going forward. But again, I think Fiaz will come through that one with no problems.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's it's gonna be it's always good to see Jamie Moore working and he's obviously going to be in the corner of Akim. Uh you know, he's he's reasonably local to me with him being from Oldham. So you know it's nice to see a local boxer getting a, a good opportunity. But yeah, I think it's gonna be uh eight round shutout, uh points victory for, for Fiaz, and you know, it's 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 a run out. It's again, you know, like you say, experience, and then he moves on to a bigger and better thing. So yeah, uh, I Fiaz' uh, points victory for me in that fight.
1: Yeah, I agree. And there's very few better at picking them and bringing them up than Jamie Moore. I, tr- I trust his judgment on uh, picking this opponent completely. I think that I think that he'll Fiaz will get exactly what he wants out of this fight.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he seems a really good guy outside of the ring as well. You know, we had a uh, Ben uh, member of Simbox speak to him. Uh, a couple of times, I think there was a, like a, a little bit of a video interview, and then there's also been a a Simbox Talks 2 article as well. So he seems a, a really good guy out of the ring, quite eloquent, really well spoken, uh, and conducted a, a reasonably good interview with with Ben. So yeah, it's he's, it's he's, he's good to see, and hopefully um, he continues to shine, and we'll follow that journey. Uh, moving I'm, into,
1: I'm sure it was excellent and not reasonable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly, certainly, as all the articles are. Uh, <laughs> moving into the third fight. Uh, this is over ten rounds at 154 pounds. A man that needs no introduction, as we spoke about him just earlier. Twelve and one, Anti Fowler, the Scouser, splits opinion across social media. Uh, but as a boxer, you can't deny he's, he's you know he's good to watch. He's all action, super fit. Uh, even in the loss to Scott Fitzgerald, he was great value in that fight, and he comes up against nine and one. Adam Harper, who interestingly retired due to an adverse finding in a brain scan, I think it was, back in 2018. And this is his first fight back since 2018. So, you know, talk about jumping in deep end domestically. You know, these is going to be super fit, uh, super keen to put on a display. Uh, and yeah,
1: what a fight for Adam Harper to come back and jump straight into. Exactly, you know, and he'll be trying to upset the apple cart. But again, I think it's like the first three. I think that, you know, it's he might get rounds. You know, Harper's a tough kid. You know, he's a good fighter, but... Fowler's that little bit of a class above. And uh, this is this is setting Fowler up for bigger and better things. But, you know, I'm a massive fan of Fowler and I don't care what anyone says. I've met him two or three times and he couldn't be nicer in person. You know, he's, he's one of those, he's got time for everybody. Um, and I don't understand the hate on him. But in the ring, he's just as exciting and just as cool as he is out. I think that he's going to get, really try and put it on Harper and, uh, and make him pay for those two years out of the ring, which, you know, I know that sounds awful, but at the same time, I really think that he's got that, the eye of the tiger and he's going for that Fitzgerald rematch or a Cheeseman fight. He's got bigger things on his mind and I think he'll be an ultra-professional and get the knockout.
0: Yeah, you'd, you'd like to think so. I think, you know, the, Adam Harper with the one loss, you know, interestingly to Michael Zarafa, you know, we've seen lose to to Kel Brook and a vintage Kelbrook Brook by any stretch of the imagination and then he also went one-on-one one with Jeff Horn. So, uh, I thought it was really interesting that Adam Harper had, had boxed Michael Zarafa back in 2018, losing... Uh, in, in, in that fight for the Commonwealth title but you know Anti Fowler since the Fitzgerald loss you know he's, he's defeated the likes of Brian Rose Harry Scarfe and then he, he had that absurd fight with Tete you know where he seemed like he was on a ice skates in, in Manchester <laughs> in, back in March you know so yeah. I think you know we want to see more of, of what Anti Fowler and Sheen are going to be working on in the gym you know I think that's a really interesting partnership uh, we didn't really see too much of course in the Tete fight so it's going to be interesting here to see how that's developing I think that's a really good angle and Again, as you mentioned, there's, there needs to be an urgency for Fowler to set up under the big fight at 154 pounds. And yeah, I've seen him stopping uh, Adam Harper in the second half of this fight. I think it'll be an accumulation of shots rather than that one single punch.
1: Uh, I agree with that assessment. I'll back your prediction. I'll say seven, set round seven or eight, I'd say.
0: Interesting. So moving into the Coleman event, and uh, we get into title fights here and this is the cruiserweight Commonwealth title fight Chris and smith the gentleman uh, against the Welshman Nathan Thorley you know 14-0 is Thorley you know he's he's taking a big step up in class here against the 10-1 and 1 Chris and smith Who you know in his, his past couple of fights you know losing the split decision to Richard Rackpaw you know no shame in that and then he looked so impressive when he stopped uh, Craig Glover in what we had down as a 50-50 fight you know he, he stopped Glover and he looked he looked really good doing it here he looked a class above and that's when we kind of really took notice of Billum Smith. And again, this is going to be all breakout fight, you know, 14 wins, six stoppages. And this is his, his, his big moment. You know, it's, is he as good as what he thinks he is? Is he as good as his 14-year-old record suggests? You know, Billum Smith starts as a huge favourite, but, you know, this this
1: fight camp's built on opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. I think Thorley's he's one of those where he's at that level, he's a bit stuck in limbo, but he's jumped it. And fair play for jumping it because, I can't think of anyone I'd less rather like to fight on a domestic scene than Chris billum Smith. He hits like a truck. He's massive. He's quick on his feet, and he can. He, he's got this kind of innate radar for accuracy. He's very accurate when he picks his shots. And we saw that against Reactor. You know, maybe he wasn't active enough, but when he hit Reactor, he really landed. And He landed hard. And his his last fight against Glover was. It was an absolute demolition job you know I really rate Craig Glover and I'm, I like, like Craig Glover but Chris Billum-Smith did a number on him and uh, Nathan Thorley has never really fought any legitimate operators and Chris Billum-Smith has just knocked out one of the most legitimate operators at this at this weight class and then he's just gone hell for leather over 10 rounds with the other the British champion you know the top dog at this domestic level I think that it's a big 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 ask for Nathan Thorley
0: yeah absolutely i mean. Certainly, inclined to agree with that, you and you know, as much as Dolly could break out and it could be his moment, I'm going to stick with the the, the form, the the experience of Chris Billum Smith, and I'm, I'm going to pick him to to stop Nathan Dolly. I think he's on a, you know, it, although it is just the one win against Glover, I think the performance against board needs to be taken into consideration, and you know, he's, he, he's he's building each and every time, and you know, he's thirty years of age now, so he's going to be wanting to move on, and I think yeah, he
1: stops Nathan Dolly in a, in a good fight, a competitive fight before his class shines through. I'm going to go even more bold than you I'm going to go for four rounds inside of four rounds I really think Brave. that Thorley is he is good but I've yeah I've watched Billum Smith up close and it is it's not pretty he's a bit of a threshing machine when he gets going he can really whack in there I don't think that Thorley's going to bring any problems for Chris Billum Smith
0: Moving into the main event and I think this has really really you know caught fire on social media you know of course, uh, alluding to the Terry Harper undefeated ten and zero Terry Harper, twenty three years of age against Tasha Jonas at thirty six, uh, IBO WBC super featherweight title fight. I think you know alongside the Katie Taylor Pursue rematch, it's, it's up there as the most prestigious in terms of the belts uh, up for grabs. I just think it, the, the bad blood that's kind of developing between Steffi Bull and, and Joe Gallagher, you know, two stalwarts of the game. You know, they, they've been there and thereabouts in terms of big fights, and they know what buttons to press and when to press them and, and kind of stir the pot and, and create hype and create attention. And they've certainly done that with stories of as Terry Harper been put over in training, is, is Tasha Jonah struggling to go the rounds. It's all been up in the air, and, and what a fantastic build up to, to on paper. What's a great fight?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, Joe and Steffi have had to uh, had to st- step up the trash talk because uh, Terry and Tasha are just far too nice. They're just lovely, lovely individuals. So somebody's got to sell the fight. So the trainers have stepped in to do it for them. Uh, no, I think that this one is. I'm I'm absolutely buzzing about this one. It's the it's such a good fight. You know, it's a veteran, the slick operator versus the young, hungry puncher. I think that it has got every ingredient to be brilliant. And I was I was writing my article today, my Throwback Thursday, and you know, looking through the history of women's boxing. And as the first all-British world title fight in women's boxing, I think it's such a seminal event for British women and British boxing. I, I'm absolutely buzzing for this one. I'm so looking forward to it. I think that, you know, Terry Harper is the epitome of a modern female boxer. She's not just a, a girl boxer. She's a fighter in their most pure sense and Natasha Jonas is an absolute pioneer, you know. She's paved the way for Terry to be the person she is today. And I think that them clashing is, you know, it it is the pinnacle of British boxing for women. And I am absolutely buzzing to see it on uh, on Saturday night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know the the, the backstory of both ladies. You know, the, the 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 idea that Terry Harper not too long ago was working in a chip shop. Uh, and then, you know, she's she's now world champion boxer. It's a proper ragster riches, Rocky kind of story. And then you've got Sasha Jonas with the Olympic pedigree, uh, retiring, having a child, coming back, getting back into world title contention. She took the loss to uh, Vivian uh, Obinoff, who Terry Harper then went on to defeat. So there's that in the mix as well. You know, and, and Terry Harper, I'm sure, will take a lot of confidence from that. Uh, but the the Olympic pedigree Tasha Jonas, you know, and and being around the Team G B set up and working with somebody like Joe Gallagher, you know, and at thirty six she's she's very experienced, you know, she's she's established in the game and you know, at thirteen years older than Terry Harper, she's I'm sure she's gonna believe that she has that experience over Terry Harper. Uh, and it just all gels together for a for a great fight, the the story, the hype the bad blood between the trainers. It, it's just built up and it, it's almost palpable. And I picked this out in in the build-up as one of the fights to look out for. And I, I just don't see it uh, failing to deliver. You know, Jonas, uh, seven no- uh, stop, stoppage victories in nine victories. Uh, seven knockouts in nine victories. And uh, Terry Harper, she's won five of ten by KO. She's not lost, of course. So there's just everything. Any way you want to look at it, is he going to be the fighter against the puncher? Are they both going to stand and trade? Who knows, you know, and... Uh, it just throws up so many questions, but I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, you and I'm going to both have to make a prediction for the main event, and I'm going to give it to you first.
1: <laughs> I'm going to back the upset. Uh, I'm going to go Tasha Jonas by a razor thin split decision. Um, I'm I'm a massive fan of Terry Harper. Don't get me wrong, and I I will be if Terry Harper wins by knockout, you know, or or a decision, I won't be surprised in the least. But it's a 50 fifty-fifty. Um, I think that Terry Harper is fantastic. My the problem with this is that I don't want either of them to lose. But I think that Tasha might have the experience. I think she might have that crafty, wily veteran. She might, I know the, the old phrase is old manning, but uh, I think she might old lady her. I think she might, you know, work on the outside and really use those wily veteran tricks to just pull off, you know, the closest of margins in decision. But I would love to see Tasha, you know, the pioneer that she is. I'd love to see her raise that green and gold belt and then walk off into the sunset. I think that would be a brilliant story. And Terry at only 23, she can come again then. And, you know, I want the best for both of them. So that's uh, that's going to be my pick.
0: Brave call, and I think Ewan you know, it's always, always interesting when we have a clash of opinions. I think, you know, when it comes to the, the, the kind of Tyson Fury, and Joshua arguments, and there's a couple of others that we've had over the years. But today we've agreed a lot, and, you know, surprisingly, I'm going to agree with you again. I think Jonas, with the, with the pedigree, the, the boxing ability, um, I, I, I think she comes through again on a close decision victory, and I Again, like I, I, I'm going to agree with you. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Harper stops her given you know the way uh, Tasha Jonas was stopped by Obenhoff and, and Terry Harper is it, you know she's a solid puncher, but yeah' I'm, I'm, going to go, I'm going to go with pedigree, I'm going to go with boxing ability I'm going to go with the the, the the more experienced operator, and what a fantastic story it would be if she just announced her retirement in the ring there, thereafter you know and, and vacated the belts and, and Terry Harper comes back and, and she, she rebuilds at 23 years of age, but you know we, we've got to pick a winner. And unfortunately, we've got to pick a loser. These two great stories. I'm a fan of both ladies. Uh, I'll continue to be a fan of both ladies after Saturday night. But if, if we're sitting here and, and making predictions, we're not going to sit on the
1: fence. Uh, on the fence. And I'm going to go with Tasha Jones. No, no, I think I think that the the only real tragedy in this fight is that one of them has to lose. They're both lovely, yeah. lovely people, and you know they both come from rags to riches. You know they both struggled to be where they are, and they've got the rocky stories. So you know I'll celebrate for whoever wins, and I'll be gutted for whoever loses.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it's going to be a fantastic watch. You know, week one was great. Week two, hopefully, can live up to that that, that benchmark. But you and it's been great looking back at the, the 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 week one of fight camp. It's great to be back on that top boxing after a little hiatus. And we look forward to week two. And I also look forward to next week and, and reviewing this card with you. It's great to have you back, Luke. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Take care.